Reading through, through some numbers that uh, don't surprise me, but certainly confirm, I think, what a lot of us have been seeing, which is that violent crime is going in the wrong direction. So SatScan uh, has released their number on homicide and crime rates across this country, and they've gone up now for the third straight year. And nearly a quarter of the murders are being committed by gang violence. And so almost every province saw an increase of gun crime. Uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba lead the way. But certainly Ontario has also seen a big spike with 13 more gang-style murders than we saw the year before. So we do lead the way always in gang shootings. And look, we're spending more on policing, yet crime goes up. And it's going to keep going up because the concern is, you know, we've struggled through a pandemic. Cost of living is soaring. People are getting desperate. We've got an opiate crisis that is out of control. And we let a lot of bad people out on bail, assuming that they won't be bad people when they're on bail. Let us bring in Dave Perry, 640 Toronto's security analyst, also a former homicide cop in Toronto. Hello there. Hello there, Alex. I can't say um, I'm surprised. You surprised? No, I think um, you and I have talked many times about this, and this was quite predictable that we'd find ourselves in this mess that we find ourselves today. And it's no surprise to me, although it's very concerning. Yeah, I mean, Dave um, Bradley even went further, uh, parsing through some numbers, looking at major crime in Toronto, which is up 17% from last year. Certainly in, in certain neighborhoods, uh, Aldershot in Etobicoke, major crimes went up by 110%. We're also seeing, Dave, I think, new crimes that we have not had to deal with before, like carjackings, violent carjackings, pharmacy raids that are prompting these carjackings. And and so, again, we're, we're seeing more crimes that we have never seen in the past, and yet nothing is being done to actually combat it. Yeah, the frustration of the police, I can I can assure you, um, it's very difficult these days to get anything done and to try and bring these things under control. But uh, yeah, we're seeing a, a, an emergence of new crimes, uh, higher levels of violence. The thing that never shows up statistically is um, how people are feeling, and mm-hmm. and I, I take a, I take a big uh, a big measuring stick out when people talk to me about how they're feeling in terms of their public safety these days and. I can tell you that it, it, it's not a good one. And and me, even me personally, I, I'm different. And it's not because I'm getting older. I'm just aware of what's happening out there. And when I stop to fill up my car at a gas station and things like that, I'm my head's on a swivel. I'm spinning and looking all the time and, and feeling unsafe. So if I'm feeling that way and I'm trained to watch for it and to avoid it, I, I can't imagine how some other people who don't have that kind of training must feel. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Once upon a time, I wouldn't think twice about walking in Toronto at night. I did it all the time for most of my uh, my TV career. And I wouldn't do that today because I don't think Toronto is Toronto the safe or the good anymore. Um, you know, when you look at headlines, as Joe Warmington reported, I think just a couple of weeks ago, you know, we've got 1,100 people charged with gun crimes on bail across Toronto and Durham region. Um, you know, we've got these catch and release issues where the cops go out and catch the bad guys and then the, the, the you know, bail system lets them out almost right away on the assumption that they're not going to go back uh, to the behavior that got them there in the first place, unless that has changed. And we certainly hear talk about it, Dave, but we don't actually see the action. We've got so far into this restorative justice where everything is, everyone is given the benefit of the doubt, even those who clearly don't deserve it. But until this actually changes and we stop getting the, the political spin, I don't think anything's going to change. And that's not the only thing that would need to change, but it's a big one. Yeah, and, and the conversation, and it is mostly just conversation, 
has shifted and focused on, you know, social programs, which are very important and Mm -hmm. badly lacking and involve things like gang intervention and anti-gang programs for children who are at high risk and so on and so on. But the the conversation that never seems to happen anymore is the accountability, Mm -hmm. you know, through a strong and consistent justice system, which disappeared many, many years ago. And if you look at the justice system as a whole, in a very wide scope, it's the police, it's the courts, it's the correctional services. And the police are doing the best they can, in my opinion, with so little in terms of resources and support. And they get into the courts and, you know, you just address the whole issue with bail and it's it's a joke. And the criminals all know it. Uh, it's a revolving door these days. And then correction correctional services holds their hands in the air and they're bound by decision of the courts and people if they are incarcerated or incarcerated for very short periods of time. And listen, I believe in giving everybody a break. I, I, I'm not that that firm on the, the hard justice and that every criminal needs to go to jail. But certainly when you start building up, you know, pages and pages of charges and records and you show your wanton disregard for the justice system, for your, your fellow community, and you just want to go out there and cause harm. But there's a time when somebody yeah. in the justice system Wait a sec! You need to be held to account, and and you're put in jail for a good, a good term, and uh, and see how you do once you get out. But you know, there's a lot of things that have impacted us as as a country and in in our communities. And, you know, the whole defund the police movement, the taking away of essential tools from the police, like street investigations and the school police, which just drives me crazy. Yeah. Seeing all the shootings we're having in schools these days, the Tabas anti-gang program, and we all predicted this. I know you were one of them. Uh, Alex, I've always admired you for your, for your knowledge and insight. And I tell you, we all saw this coming. We all knew that everything that would, that was happening over the last, let's call it seven or eight years, would lead to where we are today with increased violence and and some, you know, homicide rates that we hope we'd never see. Yeah, I mean, I'm one for tough laws and setting the actual deterrent. Like, if you're going to carry out a gun crime, then you're not generally a, a, a average criminal. They're, they're, not all criminals are, are created equal. There are those who deserve a second chance, but there are many who don't. Um, having said that, I'm also a big proponent of, you know, having those programs. We don't have mentorship programs for these young kids. We're not dealing with any of the fallout from pandemic, um, you know, cost of living issues. We're not doing anything, Dave, as far as the opiate crisis, which is being further fueled by gang members who are fighting over turf to keep these people, you know, addicted to drugs. And so until we solve these huge issues that progressives seem to think are better left if we just let them fester. And it's not just can I mean, we've seen it in San Francisco. We've seen it in Portland where it's like if we just do nothing, everything will just clean itself up. It's just not realistic. No, it's sure not. And it, it's, a, you know, it's a huge problem. It impacts all of us. And it, therefore, all of us have to be involved in you know, whatever corrective action we're going to take in the future to, to try and get it under control. And one of the things I've noticed over the years, and we follow U.S. crime patterns that trend here, you know, let's say a few years later, sometimes 10 years later, is that they've not been successful. And once things are really broken, there's been very few success stories where they've gotten communities back to where they once were before. And we're mm-hmm. on a slippery slope here in, in uh, Canada. And let's talk about Toronto. We're on a slippery slope of losing what we preciously are trying to hold on to right now, which is safe streets, the public safety at a level that makes us all feel reasonably safe when we go about our daily business and, and raise our families. But uh, it's, it's not going to be long. You know, we can talk about... What that looks like in five years, I'm afraid of what it looks like if we don't change the angle and the trajectory we're on right now. 
Well, well, no question about it. I mean, heading into a recession, we know that inflation is not going away. I mean, we're just starting with the real challenges um, and those who are on the, on the, you know, teetering right now on the brink, um, you know, with poverty and or, you know, those people, um, if they're desperate, they will turn to possible riskier behavior. And so if we don't start actually admitting we've got a problem, which no one in charge seems to do, I don't know what it'll look like in a few years because people are at the point where they're hitting the wall because, um, you know, there's too many things going on at the same time and no one's bothered to uh, get in front of it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, somehow the, the government has to come to the table with, with not just talk anymore. There needs to be two options, two wide open doors for people at risk that are looking at or thinking about or victims of being swept up into violence and gangs and all that stuff. And one of them is, you know, huge social incentives, social programs, you know, again, gang intervention, anti-gang mm-hmm. programs, and embrace those people and do everything you can for them to, to show them that there's another side of life. And then on the other side, those that <clears throat> continuously fight those programs and pull those young, and they're mostly kids, risk at-risk kids and drag them into a life of crime and violence, yeah, there should be a big gate that gets locked pretty solidly behind them after they they score a big enough record of of violent crime and carrying guns and selling drugs and all the kinds of stuff we know that's happening. So to me, it's it's a two pronged approach, and I don't know that one is more important than the other. Right, you know, yeah. you're a friend of mine who <clears throat> spent a lifetime bailing out first time uh, kids, you know, that were finding themselves in trouble with the justice system and helping them get jobs and so on. Even he would say there's there's another side to this. There's some that you just can't help, and yeah. and that's the, that's the thing that some people don't realize. There's some really bad people out there, and they're not going to go into social programs. They're not going to stop doing what they do unless they hit that hard wall once they get into the justice system where they're held accountable. So, so that's my view, and that's what I think. Two things that have to have to go hand in hand, and one has to be as productive as the other, and hopefully the social programs would would decrease the other side. The, you know, the people that find themselves yeah. in the justice system. Hope is all we've got, apparently. That's what we run this country on, is hope. Not a real strategy. Uh, nonetheless, we'll continue talking about it. Appreciate the time, Dave. Have a great day. You too, Alex. Anytime. And that is Dave Perry joining us here today.